Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. As we kick off a new year, we are also kicking off a new series entitled The Intersection, where Christianity and culture collide. Leading us in this week's message is our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, and just a quick word of caution for parents out there. Both this week and next, the sermons may contain topics of a more mature content. And if you are listening with young kids and are not ready to broach those subjects with them, you may want to listen at a different time. Now, here is Pastor Jared with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church. It is wonderful uh, to be able to sing that, to hear uh, from Carrie Muir on, uh, from Choices Pregnancy Center. You know, every year at Christ Church, as you know, since its beginning, we've focused in January on a time of Choose Life various aspects and ministries that we support here at Christ Church that are really life-centered. And Choices is obviously a huge, huge ministry that we support here at Christ Church. And we want to encourage you to get involved as we, as we not only get involved there with the baby bottles, as we give to them financially, as we come and help in their centers, as we go in the march. They'll be there in the march as well as we go down to Washington in the uh, end of this, uh, this month to... Um, to go and make our stand, to make our voices heard for the, that law, Roe v. Roe versus Wade. Uh, giving, unfortunately, giving permission for abortions. It's, it's such a powerful movement that we can get involved with. But that's why we're here, the church, as we go throughout this series. And we've titled this series, The Intersection, Where Christ and Culture Collide. The reason I titled that, um, because... That ministry that we support, Choices, we're going to hear another great ministry uh, next week, very powerful. Again, I want to encourage you parents, it's going to be even more sensitive next week for your kids uh, to hear. But know that these are ministries that we support that are really countercultural, aren't they? They go against what culture actually uh, would say. So when we talk about choices, we think of what the culture is saying or the, the laws are saying about abortion and how it's so acceptable. And you hear that, that, that video of the BBs and that powerful video. And one of the things I want to encourage you, you know, when we hear that video, and I, we saw it already at the first service, and I, I told the, the first service at 845, I said, you know, you, it's kind of a sombering video, isn't it? You know, we come in this January, uh, it's the new year, it's cold outside, it's a little dreary. We come in here and we hear kind of a, kind of a gut-wrenching video and we think, man, this is kind of a downer. My hope is, is that when you hear things like that, that we aren't walking out so down and frustrated, but we walk out inspired to do something. Inspired to be countercultural, to inspired to go and say, hey, listen, we're not going to let that happen. We're not just going to sit idly by. We are going to go out and make a difference. That's what countercultural is all about. That's why I've titled this The Intersection. Because no matter where you are in life, no matter if you're old or young, if you're in school, non school, whether you're working, you're retired, whatever it is, we're in that intersection of life right now where culture says one thing, maybe the government or laws say one thing, but God's word says something else. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Not just to get information and go, wow, that's powerful, but actually respond to it. 
You know, I thought about that this week as talk about choices. You know, we did a lot of work with choices. I was involved, as many of you know, with Silver Ring Thing, a sexual abstinence program that's still very much alive and still running many events that we would have still going on. There's some folks in our church that are definitely involved with that. Our, they're housed right behind us right here uh, in a building, the John Guest Ministry Center. And Silver Ring Thing is really a countercultural movement. It's, a, it's an abstinence program, three-hour multimedia program where young people would go into churches and community centers and work with pregnancy centers like Carrie and put on a program talking about God's plan for uh, sex, God's plan for pre-marriage, what that looks like, and then talk about what God's plan is for us and give the gospel message. So it really was countercultural. It was really birthed out of an idea where, you know, the government, the culture was saying, hey, listen, we're going to have Planned Parenthood come in. We're going to talk about safe sex and then the proliferation of, of premarital sexual activity going on. That somebody said, you know what, we're going we're to respond. We're going to do something. And so we did a lot of work with Silver Inkling over the years. And, and this is past few weeks. It's kind of been coming up again because I... I uh, had uh, went to a Christmas uh, get together with Denny Patton, who was the founder of Silver Ink Thing, and we were kind of reminiscing because I, you know, I worked there for 13 years, and it's amazing what had happened. What happened during that time? We had these young people saying, you know what, we're going to live differently. We're going to be countercultural. We're not going to just say, hey, we can get involved in all kinds of premarital uh, activity, but we're going to be absent because that's what the Bible says. And what what happened is over. Over the period of years, all these young people started kind of getting along this movement, and we started attracting a lot of attention from a lot of people, a lot of media. In fact, we had, uh, for a number of years there, we had a lot of different media coming and interviewing uh, folks at Silver Ink Thing. If you were here, you remember, uh, we had a lot of news uh, outlets here interviewing folks at Silver Ink Thing. I remember for many years just getting used to getting accustomed to having a camera in my face because they wanted to see what was going on with the countercultural movement. These young people standing up saying, hey, we're not going to live like the culture says. And I remember going and doing all these events. In fact, we got so much media recognition that somebody in England heard about us and said, could you come to, to England? And just this past fall, I was cleaning out one of my closets, and one of the pictures fell from a top shelf, and it was a picture. It was myself, my wife, Deb, and we were right in the middle of London with 25 high school students. And we were there with our Silver Ink Thing t-shirts on, and we were going and proclaiming this message about absence, about God's plan, and giving the gospel message as well. And I remember thinking, what a crazy thing that was. I remember talking with Denny about it. He said, man, you remember that? I said, oh, I remember that. That was crazy. I'm surprised parents even let us take their kids over there. Because we would go, and we didn't really have a huge plan. We had some people over there that were kind of setting up the events for us. But I remember taking 25-some high school students, and my wife and I were, uh, were driving all over the place. And it was uh, not the safest, I would say. We were driving in these 15-passenger vans. We were sitting on the other side of the where you normally sit. So we're sitting on the right side, driving on the left, right? So you were different. Yeah, the stick shift was on the left. So that was a little crazy. We were going through these back roads of, uh, of England, going to these events. They had 15 students behind us. And I I remember thinking, man, they're singing, you know, we love Jesus. I said, I'm glad you're singing praise songs because we're about to meet Jesus face to face if we keep driving like this. I remember driving in the middle of the night, going to an event. In fact, Jeff, who was up here, was our tech director at the time, he was the one playing the bass, and I remember he was driving the truck in front of me, and I remember him swerving at one point because it was so late, and we got out of the gas station. I said, Jeff, what are you doing? He goes, Jared, I, I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I literally am so tired. I saw a tree get up and walk across the road, and I had a swerve. I thought, you need to stop driving right now. But it was countercultural. We did this, and we had news following us around all over the place. 
We were interviewed on BBC, 60 Minutes, MTV, countercultural, because somebody wanted to respond. In fact, I remember walking to a restaurant one morning, and somebody said, hey, uh, Jared, I, uh, they, they didn't know my name, but they pointed at me, and they said, I just saw you on TV last night. I thought, oh, here it comes. And uh, I knew that we had been on 60 Minutes um, a week ago, and I said, yeah, you probably saw the 60 Minutes event of Silver Ring thing that did a whole hour documentary, and they said, no, no. Mm-hmm. Saw you on Family Guy. Now, if you don't know what Family Guy is, it's a, I'm not going to promote it because it's a cartoon. I've never watched it. It's a cartoon more for adults where they poke fun at things in the culture. And so Family Guy did a whole thing on Silver Ring thing. They had an episode called The Opal Ring Thing. And there was a guy there named Jerry and his wife named Debbie. And there was me, and they, they had me sitting there, and I had my hat turned backwards, and I was sitting on the chair talking to students. And they said, oh, he's so cool. He sits backwards with his hat backwards. He's talking to us about abstinence. we got to follow him. But it got out there. One thing amazing, though, is that the news would keep coming and, and trying to probe us of why are we doing what we're doing. And we kept saying, this isn't our message. This is the message that Christ wants us to give. And so it silenced them every single time. It's countercultural. It's countercultural. That's what Choices is about. Choices is about saying, hey, listen, we're going to help women and men take a stand against abortion. It's countercultural. It's the intersection where Christ and culture collide. No matter where you are in life, no matter what age or demographic, you're standing in that intersection. The question is, is how do you live in that intersection? How do you live life? You know, we all remember taking, you see that graphic up there, the intersection. We all remember taking our driving test. I remember taking my driver's test, studying for it. I grew up in New Jersey, about 45 minutes south of New York City. So uh, the rules there are more like guidelines on driving. Uh, but uh, I remember studying for this test and uh, my driver's test. All the rules that you had to remember so you could take that test. And I remember so clearly. There was a section about the intersection, and somebody had written an article about the five R's to remember when you come to the intersection. The five R's, we do them automatically. It's what? Reduce your speed. You gotta reduce, you gotta read the signs. You gotta ride in your lane. You can't switch lanes in an intersection. You gotta remember your turn signal, and you gotta respond to the traffic, right? The five R's, the intersection. So I thought, you know, it's so fitting that when we come to the intersection of what the culture says or what the government says and how we live life as Christians, that we got to remember there's five R's that we got to deal with. And my hope is that you respond to what you see here. When you see videos like that BB video or you hear things about going on in our culture, that we respond, that we don't just walk out down go, man, it's cold outside, it's January, it's freezing. Not only that, but the culture's falling apart. No, I want you to walk out of here with hope saying, you know, we're going to stand up. As Pastor Jamie was here saying, hey, listen, you have an opportunity here. You got the baby bottles, you can get involved. There's so many opportunities that you can do. The question is, is will you respond? But you can't respond unless you understand the five R's. You can't understand why to respond unless you know, or excuse me, how to respond unless you know why to respond. You can't know how to respond unless you know why to respond. And that's where we come to here today. And over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about this. How do we deal with life in the intersection? You know, it's no secret that there's a lot of laws that have been made that are not godly. 
Roe versus Wade is one law with abortion. We know that that's not godly. We know other issues such as homosexuality or taking the Bible out of schools or taking down the Ten Commandments um, in places of government, that, we're, that t- those things are, are taken down, the, the issues about uh, sexual activity, things like that. Those are all uh, uh, non-godly things. We know that they're contrary to God's word. So how do we deal with that when we, when we look at the government, we look at laws around us? How do we deal with that? Well, again, you need to understand why in order to know how to respond, and that's my hope. The first is when we look at government, we've got to know that we need to, one, the first R is recognize that every government is put there by God. Every government is put there by God. Look at Romans 13, if you don't believe me. 13 verse 1 says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God is in control, amen? God is in control, amen? You've got to know that God's in control. Because you can go through life and say things are so out of control that there's all these laws, all these things that are so anti-God, it's out of control. And we say, you know what? God must be so removed from what's going on here on on earth. He's not removed because he sent his own son to die for us. So he's in control. So we first have to recognize, recognize that every government is put there by God. Even the bad ones are there. They're established by God. That which is God has established. God is in control. God's in control. You believe and recognize that God's in control. That's the first star. When you come to the intersection of life, you've got to recognize that God's in control. And then the second one, this one I thought was really a challenge for me until you look at it further. We need to realize that God uses even sinful governments to do his will. Whew, that's a tough one. You say, well, what does that look like? How could God use a sinful government to do his will? And then you start thinking about throughout the Old Testament, various things where God used Canaanites or the Various people to come in and attack and wipe Israelites out, wipe things that were going on, that, that the Israelites who God's chosen people, he's going to wipe them out. In fact, he used Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most evil, evil uh, kings in the Old Testament for his will. Look at Jeremiah 25. It says this, therefore the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar would have loved to have heard that, declares the Lord, I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. Boy, if that's not an encouraging scripture, huh? God used an evil government to do his will. You know, I think about this when I thought about Saul. Remember Saul of Tarsus? He was the one that was going around killing Christians. He was one of the religious leaders. But then what happened? He had that, he had that, that moment where God revealed himself to Saul and he had a, a change. God came right to him and said, Saul, what are you doing? And Paul totally changed his life and so they changed his name to Paul. God used in evil leader for good. And now Paul goes out and witnesses to all these churches, writes books in the New Testament, going to all these churches about who God is and what he has done. He uses sinful governments to do his will. So once you recognize that every government is put there by God, and once you realize that every sinful government, uh, that even sinful governments do his will, then we remember that we need to pray for those who govern us, don't we? 
First Timothy 1 says this, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Many people would say, I'm not praying for our government. I will not pray for our leaders. I will not pray for our president. And I think that's crazy. Because if they're all put there by God and God uses the good ones and the bad ones, then we've got to pray for them. Whether you like them or not, you've got to pray for them. Parents, are you teaching your children to pray for the government? Are you teaching your children to pray for your leaders? Last year in November, I think it was October, right before the election, we, I, we had an amazing event happening over in Wilson Hall where we had, it was a prayer service. And we had folks coming in, they were Democrat and Republican, come in, and we were just going to pray. That's all we were going to do. So we prayed, we played worship and prayed. We worked with Word FM, and we, we, we just prayed. And it was, a, it was packed, packed to the brim. People were standing, but it was a powerful time because what we were doing was we were praying because we recognized, hey, all these governments, no matter who gets in office, they're put there by God, and God can do amazing things, so we got to pray for them. Church, are you praying for the people in government? Because you're standing in the intersection. So we recognize every government's put there by God. We realize even sinful ones God uses. We remember to pray for them, and then we remind ourselves to, to submit to those who govern us. And this is the challenge when it comes to that. When we're talking about God colliding with government, how do we do that? How do we submit? Well, it's in the passage we just read. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter 2, 13 speaks so much about the command for submission. It says in verse 13, Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor, the supreme authority, the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and command those who do right. The command is simple. we got to submit. What's the reason? Because it's the Lord's sake we submit. You know, to say we're a Christian and then engage in all kinds of civil disobedience is very uh, conflicting to the world around us. It's very conflicting when we are going to engage in civil dis- disobedience. We're not going to pay our taxes, or we're going to do uh, crazy riots and protests, not in a peaceful way. It's really confusing to the society because we say, yes, we're Christians. The Lord has called us to be good, to be excellent, to be transformed into creatures of light, to, 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 to be called to, to conduct ourselves in a godly context, but then we disobey the laws. We disobey the standards of righteousness, and it becomes very confusing for people. So we submit because it's the Lord's sake. You say, but Jared, how could you submit when the leaders are so evil? When we live in a culture where judges or leaders or laws are so bad, and I tell you, this isn't the first time in history that laws and leaders and judges have been bad. All throughout the Old Testament, judge after judge came in, all bad. All had issues, some good ones. Some bad ones. Paul lived a life where he was dealing with various evil people in life. Peter. We know about Peter. And Nero. Dealing with Nero. Peter, who wrote this, knows what it's like to deal with leaders who are contrary to God's word. He and John were there, and uh, they were saying, listen, you can't talk about Jesus. You can't talk about it. And Peter and John were saying, no, we have to proclaim Jesus, because that's why we're here. There's been bad leaders from day one. We submit for the Lord's sake. But if we're going to be persecuted, or if we're going to be incarcerated, let it be because we have been preachers of righteousness, righteousness, not because we're defiers of the law. Preachers of righteousness, not defiers of the law. 
you know, the command is simple. And the reason is simple. Look at verse 15. It says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. I love that because what Peter's saying, what it's saying here is that there are laws, there are government officials that are evil, and they're actually ignorant, aren't they? And we silence them because we're doing good. With Silver Ink thing, we had so many people, so many uh, uh, media outlets, and so many um, uh, people coming to us and trying to silence our talk. We actually had uh, run-ins with Planned Parenthood. We had run-ins with various issues. And you know what we kept saying? It wasn't, we weren't being mean. We were saying, hey, listen, this is not our message. This is the message that God's given to us. And it silenced them all. They try to get us to stop. They try to muzzle us. They try to uh, uh, not get us to proclaim that message. And it all stopped. Why? Because we were able to silence them because we continue to do God's will. Continue to do his work. That's how we muzzle. That's the reason for submission. And then the attitude is there. How do we have the attitude of submission? Look at verse 16. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Live as free people, it says. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. There's, <laughs> there's people that I know that would say, I'm not paying my taxes. Because I don't believe in the government. I said, that's crazy. You are using, you are using your freedom in Christ to say, now I can engage in civil disobedience. I actually knew somebody who said, uh, I don't care about trespassing signs. Because if the Bible says that God owns everything, I can go into anybody's property I want. And to which I told him, I, bet, I hope you know God. Because if you walked in the wrong property, you may see God face to face sooner than you think. It's not a cover-up. When we say we're Christians... It's not a cover-up for, for wrongdoing. It also doesn't mean we sit idly by, though, either. And say, well, you know what? This world's going, uh, this world's going down the tubes. Let's just, uh, let's just hold on and not, not respond. We see a video like that with the BBs, and we say, well, you know what? That's the way it is, and there's nothing we can do about it, and we go our own way. That's, that's also not what Peter's saying here. Where we say, hey, you know what? Uh, God's in control, so he'll figure it out. No, no, no. God put you here, put us here to be instruments to use for his will. That's why we have to have the attitude of submission. We don't, we don't do it as a cover-up for evil. So once you recognize that all governments are placed there by God, once you realize that even sinful governments uh, he can use, once you remember to pray for them, and once you understand submission, then you can fully respond with your influence. That's the fifth one. We respond with our influence. Look at verse 12. Live as such godly lives among pagans that though you accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. Ah, oh, my hope is that you respond when you hear things like this. When we talk about the injustices of this world, that we respond, that we don't just sit idly by. Peter and John did that. When Peter and John were being silenced in, in Acts, you know, they're saying, listen, you, you can't say this. They're saying, listen, you can't talk about Christ. And Peter goes on and say, said, said, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven. And in verse 13, it goes on to say in Acts 4, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, <clears throat> when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. When they saw the courage, do you have courage here? My hope is that you have courage enough to say, you know, we're going we're gonna to respond 
We're going to respond when we hear things going on in the world around us. We're going to, we're going to be obedient at all costs. We're not going to be fearful of that. That's what John Knox says this. He says that he feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. That's my hope for myself. That I fear God so much that I never fear the face of any man. God, make it so. Because we do what God's called us to do. It's a matter of responding. When you hear things going on in the world around us, are you going to respond? One person did. Carrie, 30 years ago, somebody said, Choices Pregnancy Center, we're going to respond. And so they set up this Choices Pregnancy Services. Hundreds and thousands of lives have now been saved because of that. You have the opportunity to get involved too, to respond. Maybe to get involved there to fill up those baby bottles. The silver ring thing, somebody responded. They saw what was going on in the culture and realizing how many people were engaging in premarital activities. And they were going to respond 20 years ago. To date, over 700,000 people have been affected by silver ring thing. 700,000 in nine countries have heard the message of Silvering Thing. 130,000 people have come to Christ because of Silvering Thing. 130,000 people. <laughs> Folks, that's not a small number. That's an impact. That's a countercultural impact. But it started with one person saying, I'm going to respond. Will you respond here today? Will you respond? When you see yourself standing in that intersection where Christ and culture collide. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for today. Lord, thank you that you're in control of all things. Lord, that you can use evil for your good, that you can use governments and officials for your good. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, we, we surrender it all because we know that you're in control, and so we thank you. We do put our faith and trust in you. We know that you've got a plan for this, this world that you haven't left us, and that's why you sent your son to die in our place, and that's why when we come to the communion table now, Lord, we remember what you did for us on the cross. Your body broken, your blood shed, because you love us, that you've got a plan for us, and that you, you're not going to let us go in this world. And Lord, help us, knowing that we have you, that we know the end of the book, we know you're in control, and that, that we can do all things through you, Lord. Help us to respond in a way as we see this culture around us. Help us to respond. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. We thank you for the opportunity to do so. Be with us now as we come to your table, and I ask all this in your precious name.